Let me make mention, uh, Brother Ronnie Brewer, uh, on Monday, uh, I believe it was Monday evening or Sunday evening maybe, he had to go to the emergency room at Erlanger, and they put him in the hospital. He had an infection. He uh, became septic, and so they were going to keep him for two or three days. I spoke with uh, Ronnie, uh, little Ronnie, and he said that everything looked like it was going well, but they were going to keep him for a few days. So uh, let's keep Ronnie Brewer and his family in our prayers. Also, continue to remember Brother J.C., uh, Brother Leon, Sister Barbara. Tom and Nellie are traveling. They've been, uh, that's where they were Sunday. They are uh, up in East Tennessee, uh, Northeast Tennessee. Uh, so uh, let's uh, keep them in our prayers. We have wonderful news that uh, Greg and Holly Schull have placed their membership here with us. And so we're thankful for that. And we appreciate that good family and all that they uh, mean to us here. Uh, of course, keep in uh, your prayers. Uh, Mary and Sonny Burnett, they uh, obeyed the gospel this past Saturday. Brand new members here at White Oak and their four grandchildren, uh, Dakota, Sierra, Tacoma, and Montana. And so uh, I can't believe I remembered that. But anyway, uh, keep them in your prayers. Let me mention something quickly that uh, uh, happened this, uh, to me this morning. I was up in uh, Leechford, Kentucky getting some tires, trailer tires, put on uh, the wheels that I had to take off because they blew out on us. But while I was waiting there at Walmart, I met a lady. And her name is Glenda Pryor. Glenda is 77 years old, and I had a long conversation with her. And uh, during our conversation, uh, all of a sudden she asked me, she said, Are you a preacher? I said, Yes, ma'am, I am a preacher. And she said, well, I want you to pray for my daughter, Marilyn Stevens. She's an alcoholic. She said, I've been trying to, I've had her in and out of places, and, and this lady seemed very sincere, and she wanted to uh, uh, hear me preach. And so I gave her our website information. And I told her if she'd go to our website, that she could listen to me preach. And now she's a member of a denomination. Let's pray for Glenda Pryor from... Leechford, Kentucky, uh, that she might listen to uh, what we are teaching here at White Oak and that she might someday obey the gospel while she's still alive in this world. And let's pray for her daughter, Marilyn Stevens, who is having some issues and is trying to recover from some things. Let's pray for her so that family might be able to be healed. Tonight we have with us Brother Dale Barger. Of course, we all know Dale and his good family he has his wife, his parents, and all three of his youngins here with him tonight. And we're glad that, that he is with us. Of course, he is uh, the preacher at the Wheeler Hill Congregation up there where uh, Clay tries to part-time it a little bit. That's going to come to an end here before long when I get that house up there in the Valley sold for him. But we're glad that Dale is here and his family's with us. We appreciate him. And uh, he's been preaching now for about 10 years, haven't you, full-time, haven't you, Dale? Because I remember that because Dale and I went to school the same year. We graduated the same year. And so uh, he's here with us tonight. We appreciate him. Of course, he's a graduate of the Tri-City School of Preaching up there where Eddie and Wesley are. We appreciate that good work, and we support that work, and we're happy to do that. Uh, one of the, uh, in my opinion, one of the greatest works we can support in the Brotherhood. And I'm thankful that we are able to be a part of that. Tonight, Dale is coming to us in, uh, in our theme of the good fruit. 
And as we've been doing this, of course, we've had Brother Bill Greer from Saudi. Fruit must first be planted before it can grow. We had Brother Charles Cochran from East Ridge, the result of a well-tended garden, joy and peace. Brother Roger Campbell from the Greens Lake Road Church of Christ spoke on love, the soil from which all other fruit grows. Brother David Smith from North Hamilton, he talked about long-suffering, sometimes painful to grow but always uh, pleasant to harvest. Brother Reed Perry from the Chattanooga Valley congregation came to us speaking on kindness and goodness, having the right attitude even when the soil is hard. Brother David Lopez from uh, Henderson, Tennessee, last week came to us and he spoke about righteousness and how that righteousness is never rotten. Tonight, Brother Dale will be talking about temperance and self-control, guarding against pests that destroy fruit. Brother, come speak to us. Well, let me begin by saying it is good to be here at White Oak. It's been uh, about 10 years since I've been back here. The last time we were here to speak uh, was when I was here with the school and we did the lectureship. Uh, the students did. We left here, went back to Elizabethan. We were planning on moving to Crossville at that time where I took the work at Lantana, and that was the last time that I had the privilege to be here at White Oak. So it's good to be back here. Of course, during that time, many of the faces we, we knew and loved so much have gone on, uh, but uh, it is good to be here and to be with you uh, this evening. If you would, please be turning your Bibles there to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and following. Of course, the text that you guys have been using for the summer series. As you note there... Paul, living, speaking out, listing the fruit of the Spirit, as we often refer to it as, we often term that. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, and envying one another. The topic of temperance is perhaps much broader than what we may think of many times when we begin to, to consider this. In fact, if you're using a King James Bible, you'll see that term, uh, temperance. You may also, if you're using a, a different version, may see the term self-control. I'm going to try to use the term tonight, self-control, because it, it is a little more broad-reaching in our understanding. And certainly as we define the term in just a moment, we'll see that it is a wide, broad topic. It's not something that we can narrow down, and it's just very, very narrow in our minds. But see, as we consider the topic of temperance and self-control, we need to note that that word appears four times in the New Testament. Either you're looking at the term temperance or the Greek term from which it is translated. You'll find that in Acts chapter 24 at verse number 25. You remember Paul standing before Felix and as he reasoned of righteousness, of temperance and judgment to come, Felix trembled. You find that term here in Galatians chapter 5. And you also find it listed in 2 Peter chapter 1 at verse number 6 among the Christian graces. It's used two times in that verse. Remember, add to your faith virtue, virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, temperance, then to temperance, patience. There's some synonymous terms and another phrase or two we'll look at throughout our lesson this afternoon. But as we talk about that, you, you see, just used four times in the pages of God's Word. You think, well, 
It must not be that important. It must not be that broad-reaching, or God would have seen to it that it be mentioned more times than just four times, right? Well, if it was mentioned only one time, that's important. If it's mentioned only one time, that, that is a, a very important thing in the mind of God. And it's something we ought to attend to. It's something we ought to focus on. It's something we ought to aspire to, even if it's just mentioned one time. But as we note these four times here and we see this, we want to first notice what this word, what this phrase means. Now, if you turn to some who are uh, attributed scholars and how they define this term, A.T. Robertson in his work, A Word Picture of the New Testament, he says it's one holding control or holding in. If someone possesses temperance, that is, they hold control in something. Now, it's not as limited, like I said, as we may think of. It's broad term, especially as you look at these definitions. You find also, if you turn to Thayer's work, Thayer's uh, Dictionary of New Testament Words, here's one that really gives us an idea of how broad-reaching it is. He says it this way, The virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, especially his sensual appetites. Now, if we see that term, and we put that in our mindset as we're talking about the, the work of a Christian, the life of a Christian, the characteristics, the attribute that we ought to possess. One who has the ability to control his sensual appetites. That may be, again, wider term than what we think of many times when we think of temperance. Or McKnight's work, in his work, he says, where this virtue abides, temptation can have little influence. Now, if you pair those two together and see then that temperance and self-control is the ability to hold oneself in, to hold one's sensual desires, one's passions, the temptation that we may face would have little work or have little influence in our lives, then we can begin to see how important it is. How important it is that we possess temperance. How important it is that we can possess the ability to control our desires. One goes on to say, then self-control is the discipline of oneself to live in harmony with the knowledge that he has of right and wrong. That is, when we come to know something is right, when we come to know something is wrong, it is our ability to harness our choices and our decisions to make certain that we avoid those things that are error, we avoid those things that are wrong, and we choose those things which are right. And we'll talk about the importance of that in our theme here in just a few moments. So with that understanding, with those definitions in our mind, let's turn now and look at the four passages where this word is used. Again, Acts chapter 24, verse number 25 is the first time. Where Paul's standing before Felix, he's been captured, he is in, he is in bonds, and he is standing there pleading for Christianity. He's not pleading for his own freedom. He's pleading the, the case for Christianity. And the Bible says, As he, that is Paul, reasoned of righteousness, of temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled. Now what I want to gain from that passage is the placement there of the term temperance. As he reasoned then of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Temperance follows righteousness. So then that understand that that means that that self-control or temperance then is man's response to what is right. It's our choice within us to what is right. 
Paul says it's righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. There is what is right and what is wrong. There is the ability to make the choice for that which is right, avoid that which is wrong, and should we choose wrong, there is judgment awaiting for that choice. That's the, the lineup there that you look at those verses. That is a very good way to see those verses and see how important it is then that we know what is right, that we choose what is right, and then we will not be condemned for doing that which is wrong. And so, as Paul said those words, the Bible says Felix trembled. You know why? Because he knew what was right. He didn't have the choice. He didn't take the choice. He didn't make the choice to do what was right. And he knew he was going to be condemned one day for it. Let's look at the other term. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 23. As we've already noted there in our text, it is the fruit or an element of the fruit which is produced by one who walks in the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. If we, as we strive to live the Christian life, we strive to walk in the daily teachings of our Lord and our Savior and His Word, We're striving to produce fruit because we need to be fruitful. John 15, we'll talk about some of those passages a little bit later on. Other passage mentioned, of course, was 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 6. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance. It follows there, knowledge and virtue. Knowledge, of course, is the accumulation of facts. That's all knowledge is. But we have to make sure that we accumulate the right type of facts, the facts of God's Word. But the virtue there is a desire that is within us to be mentally and morally excellent. So when we possess that desire, and we possess that knowledge, we then possess the ability to make the right choice, to control ourselves, and to choose that which is right over that which is wrong. No matter how enticing it may be, no matter how desirous it may be, And as we will look at and and see some passages, sin is enticing. It is enjoyable. That's That's the enticement of it. It's pleasurable. Remember, Moses, he refused the pleasures of sin for a season, Hebrews 11. Why? Because he chose to suffer for this time and then be rewarded later. It's an important choice, is it not? As you look at those choices, you look at those words, you see uh, another phrase, also a, a parallel phrase to it. You'll find in Titus chapter 1 at verse number 8. Let's turn to that passage. Titus chapter 1, verse number 8, you'll find a, a synonymous term here, and, and the phrase is simply temperate. You may remember from your studies that Titus chapter 1 is the list there of the qualifications of elders. And there Paul says, in verse number 8, he's a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, and temperate. Now, as you study that list of characteristics, that list of qualifications there for elders, I would suggest to you that the bulk of those are those that Christian, all Christians need to attain to. In fact, there are probably just four that Christians shouldn't be held accountable to. That is, a novice, you can be a, a beginning Christian. You don't have to be a man, you don't have to be married, you don't have to have children. Those four qualifications you can exclude. The rest of those, I don't think you could find one where you say, well, I'm just a regular Christian, that doesn't apply to me. I think it does. I think it should. 
I think we should strive to possess all of those characteristics. And certainly, as we look at that passage and these other passages here with the idea of self-control, it is very, very important that we as Christians have that. We possess that. Why? Because where that virtue abides, temptation can have little influence. Remember, that's how we defined it a few moments ago by McKnight. That's the definition of the term we're talking about tonight. Let's move along then and, and talk about the demand then. Let's turn to Scripture and see where there is a demand to have self-control. Turn to Luke chapter 9, verse number 23. You may be familiar with this passage. I'm certain that you are. There, Jesus is speaking, of course, Luke chapter 9, verse number 23. Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You say, I don't see temperance there. I don't see self-control in that verse. Look again. Jesus says, If any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. How can one deny himself if he does not have self-control? How can one possess the ability to deny our, our desires, our sensual appetites, and follow after Christ if we do not possess temperance? Oh, friend, it is there. It is a, a requirement then to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. If we're going to be His disciple, we have to possess this element in our lives. We have to have this virtue. It's not a, it's not a maybe factor. It's not a, well, I'll get that squeezed in somewhere down the road. It's something we have to have up front because Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, this is one of the first things you have to do. You have to deny yourself. That comes through temperance, through self-control. And so it's very important there. How do we do that? How do we learn that? Well, it's God's grace that teaches us that, is it not? In Titus chapter 2, let's go back over to that passage, verse number 11. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Now notice verse number 12. Here's what the grace of God that has appeared to all men has done for us. It teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. How do we deny that which is ungodly? How do we deny that which is worldly lust? Is it not through the ability that we possess within ourselves to choose God's Word, God's righteousness, God's plan over what flesh desires, over what pride desires, over what ego seeks? Certainly it is. It is a requirement there. One cannot cannot become and cannot be a disciple of Christ if we can't have some type of self-control in our lives and in our character and our virtue. We have to possess it. But it's not just a requirement then to become a Christian and to start down this road, but also to prevent apostasy. You see, if we cannot control our desires, if we cannot control the things that we seek for and the desire we have, we're not going to stay faithful to God. We're going to turn after self. And serve self. And please self. And so then apostasy will come about. You see, Paul realized this importance. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 25 through 27, he uses the illustration there of how an athlete must exercise, must follow a strict regimen in order to be able to be successful in his venture. I have a friend who runs... These ultra marathons. Uh, a few weeks ago, he went to a race out there. It was a 72-hour race. He ran over 200 miles in 72 hours. 
I think he's crazy. There wasn't anybody chasing him. I didn't see a need to run that far. But they ran, he and his wife, his wife nearly ran 200 miles. She ran like 190, something like that, in a 72-hour period. I'm here to tell you, you can't just get up off the couch one day and say, hey, you know what, I'm going to go run for 72 hours or as long as I can run in that and try to get 200 miles out of there. I tried that this last week at camp. Those boys like to run me to death, running up and down a 40-foot-long basketball court. I hadn't been preparing for that. See, Paul says you've got to use some self-control. You've got to use some some choices here, and you've got got to prepare for this. Now, notice what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses uh, 25, beginning. He says, Every man that striveth for mastery, that is, if you seek to be a master, or you seek to accomplish and be successful in the task, he says he's temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. Now, he's comparing here the athletes as they would compete in, in the games and competitions that they would have had, much like what we may say the Olympics or something along that line. He says, and they're doing all that, he says, so they can obtain a corruptible crown. You know, I've studied some of that to a little bit. You know what the, the crown was many times? It was nothing more than a, a weave of olive branch and olive leaves. It'd wilt in a few days and be gone and useless. He says, that crown, that success is corruptible. It's not going to last very long at all. He says, and, and they put all that temperance, all that control in that mastery of, of that event. He says, and that's what they're seeking after. He says, but we do it. He said, we're seeking after an incorruptible. He says, so I'm running. I therefore run. Not as uncertainty, so I fight. Not as one that beats the air. He has a clear objective. He knows what he's running for. He knows what he's seeking for. He's not just out there just just punching into the wind. He says, I have a clear objective. I have a clear reason for temperance or self-control. Here's what it is, verse number 27. He says, I keep my under my body and I bring it into subjection. That is, I practice self-control. Why? Because lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. You see, the Apostle Paul says, I have to keep myself. I have to guard myself. I have to guard my choices. I have to guard my decisions or I may err from God. He says, I could be a castaway. Even though he had done those things clearly in the pages of God's Word, we have it detailed where he submitted to the plan of God as it was laid out to him by Ananias. He knew what to do. He knew what was right. And he did those things. But he sought to continue those things. You see, it is a demand then to remain faithful and to serve and to do those things which are right. Now here, let's move along. Another demand of self-control. This is the third one, by the way, for keeping count, to become a disciple, to remain faithful or to prevent apostasy. But here's where we're really getting uh, into the theme of the, the series of lessons. It's required not to damage our influence. Guarding against pests that destroy fruit. If we have only one instance, just one, of a loss of self-control, it could destroy a lifetime of influence. It could destroy a lifetime of work. It could destroy all those things that we have been putting into, all those things that we have been striving for. Just think of how important it is just one time. It may be that one opportunity that we had to reach and to teach and to touch someone who was lost. And they may have seen us made a poor choice, loss of self-control in, in any avenue, and see us venture into that which is not right. What type of influence are we going to have with those people who have seen us do those things? 
Friends, it's not going to be very much. And there's a verse, I believe, that we often overlook. There's a verse, I believe, that in our studies, in our, and I know certainly in my preaching, I have overlooked it. I've not taught from it as I should. But it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, at verse number 20. Oh, we're familiar with passages earlier in this chapter where Paul talks about how we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Right? We're familiar with verse number 10. He goes on and talks about there how then we have the ministry of reconciliation given to us. It's our work in the place of Jesus to reconcile lost man back to God. Notice what he says in verse number 20. And this will go a long way in guarding our influence and guarding our temperature and our self-control. Notice what he says. We then, as ambassadors of Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be you reconciled to God. If we would fully appreciate, if we would fully come to appreciate that we are truly representing Jesus the Christ every day in our lives, we are His ambassadors. Friends, we would be very, very cautious of our conduct. We would be very, very cautious of our attitude. We would be very, very cautious of our choices and our decisions. We are ambassadors of Christ. We are His representatives. We need to represent Him. We need to look like Him. We need to talk like Him. We need to make choices like Him. Why? Because as we noted just a moment ago, what if we make the wrong choice and somebody's watching us? Maybe someone that we don't even know. And a, a fellow Christian has been talking with them, inviting them to services, and they see us out there doing something in the world that we ought not be participating in. We've made a wrong choice and we've tried to indulge sensual appetites. We've allowed those temptations to have an influence on us. What type of influence are we going to have then on them? Not very much. We're not going to have very much influence. And so that's why there's a demand for it in Scripture. It's a demand to be seen that we become a Christian, a disciple of Christ. It's demanded that we remain faithful to Him. And it's a demand that we not destroy the work we're involved in. Because certainly we could do so if we do not possess this element of self-control. So then, how do we develop it? How is it that, if it's so important, if we have to have it, how do we get it? Well, first off, I want to show you something. It's not easy. It's not as easy as we may think. Let's turn back to the wise man, book of Proverbs. It's not the easiest thing in the world to possess self-control because if it were so easy, everybody would have it. But it's not the easiest thing in the world. Notice what Proverbs 16.32 says. Proverbs chapter 16, verse number 32. He that is slow to anger... It's better than the mighty. He that ruleth his spirit, then he then taketh a city. We don't really appreciate how big of a hero he's talking about here. But you know, back in the days that he's writing this, someone who was responsible for leading an army to take a city captive, they were highly regarded. They were thought of very, very much. They were highly respected. Because they, through their military prowess, through their, through their scheming, through all the things that they have, had done in that process, executed a plan and took an enemy city. They were lifted high up. The wise man says, if you can control your spirit, you're better than that fellow. 
You're, you're more highly regarded than he. He's greater than that. Let's look at one more verse here. Chapter 25. Proverbs chapter 25, verse number 28. Again, a couple of times here shows us it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. Proverbs 25, 28. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. He's a reproach. See, that's what it is. As you turn back and study the book of Nehemiah, we're studying the book of Nehemiah on Sunday mornings at Wheeler Hill. And that's one of the things that Nehemiah wanted to do. And in fact, as he was standing before the elders and all the people at Jerusalem, and he was trying to encourage them to take up this work that he had uh, instigated there, he started and come back to Jerusalem for, that's one of the things he said, that we be no longer a reproach. You know why they were approached? The walls were broken down. People could march in and out of that city anytime they wanted to. It was a disgrace. And the wise man says, if you don't rule your spirit, if you don't make wise choice, if you don't have the, the, the ability to control self, he says, you're a reproach. You're just like that city that has walls broken down. How destroying, how destructive, how hard that is. Let's look at some other passages to show us the difficulty of this. Turn over to Romans chapter 7. And for time's sake, we won't look at everything in this passage. But in Romans chapter 7, Paul is talking about the, the difficulty to make the right choice. And as you look at this passage, it's a very complex passage, particularly if you read all the verses there. But um, notice what he says in verse number 15. Again, you, you can read verses 14 through 24 there uh, and, and see some of the more details of it. But verse 15, he says, For that which I do, I allow not. And what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. Now again, that's coming from the King James, and it's a little bit uh, different than what we may say it today, but what he's saying is this. That which is right, that which I know to be right, that which I want to do, he says, sometimes I don't make the right choice and do that. He said, I do the very thing I'm not supposed to do. I do the things I hate, the things I know that God doesn't want me to do. He said, that's the very choice I make sometimes. And that's what he says all the way down through here as he's talking about this. In fact, he gets down there to verse number 24. And notice what he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He's wretched because he'd been making the wrong choices. There were times in Paul's life even where he said, I didn't make the right choice. Well, I didn't choose correctly. I allowed these things, I allowed the sin to make the wrong choice in me, to influence me, to, to appease me that direction. How destructive it is and how hard it is then to see that. So as you look at that then it's very clear that even in, in Christ, even as we're Christians, that difficulty remains. It continues to develop that. It's something that's very hard to do. So the solution then for self-control, it ought to start at baptism. In Romans chapter 6, Paul talks about there how that when we obey the gospel, we're no longer the servants of sin. What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. God forbid, he says. He says, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now, who is dead to sin? Well, he goes on in the next three verses there and talks about if we have obeyed the gospel through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, if we have been buried into the watery grave of baptism, he says, we have put to death the old man of sin. And so, if we have put to death the old man of sin, we ought to put to death the inability then to make the right, the wrong choices. We ought to be able to then to, to make the correct choices and to, to not allow temptation, not allow sin to rule over us. Now, that's not to say we're not going to be tempted. 
That's not to say we're not going to fall victim from sin from time to time. 1 John 1 addresses that. But we don't allow sin to have dominion over us. We control that. See, that's what he says in verses 17 and 18 of Romans chapter 6. What is it he says there? God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Now what does that mean? In our obedience to the gospel then, we have cast off, we have thrown off the, the yoke of sin. We make the right choice. We control ourselves. But notice there, in verse number 18, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. You know what a servant does? His master's will. That's the choice we now make. That's the decision we now make as Christians. As we choose to do that which God would have us to do. And it's, it continues. It continues to develop as we strive to live in accordance to the law of God. It's something that's going to grow and it's something that's going to, to maintain. A little bit later on, over in Romans chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. There, he talks about the continuation of this, the, the growth of this. He says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. He says, For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. So we, do, we, we learn to put to death those old choices. We learn to put to death that old man of sin through the teachings of God's Word as it's laid out in His written Word. That's how we develop self-control now i don't know what it is that that you may be struggling with you may not have any struggles in this area i know i certainly do but you may not and you may say well i i, I don't really see anything here that is uh exactly in the the realm of my life well it may not be that in scripture we have the exact detail of what's going on but you know in principle it's there because peter says that we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Now, it may not be that we can turn to God's Word and, and see exactly how someone handled an exact situation that we're facing. But the principle's there. God's Word teaches us how to live, how to choose correctly, how to make the choice that would further our continuance in serving Him and to, to develop these things. And so it, it grows as we come to know more about God's Word. We know what choices we ought to make. We see and we have seen through our studies of people in the past who have faced similar situations and see what choices they made. We learn from them. Whether or not to turn away or whether or not to turn toward and where we could go from there, where it would lead, where it would hurt what it would hurt, all those types of things. Friends, that development is a lifelong process. It's not something we're going to gain and pick up in a weekend or in a midweek Bible study and go forth and be able to have it mastered. Remember, we noted First Corinthians chapter 9 there a moment ago. Paul says we have to strive for it. That means it's not obtained instantly. It's something that's going to take a lifetime. And we need to work every day toward it. Very quickly as we close tonight, We've noted there the definition of self-control. We've noted the demand. We've talked about developing it. Let's look very quickly how do we display it. How do we display self-control in our lives? Now, as Paul noted there in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we read the verse earlier, he, he talked about bringing his body into subjection. 
It's not something that you and I go forth and do. And it's not something that we, we display. Look at me. I have self-control. I have temperance. It's not something that happens like that. It's something that we ought to keep within and have that within. Have that humility with it. Because again, that could be one of those things that would damage our influence. Pride and ego. Humility is a great, great characteristic that we ought to have. And as we look at the fruit of the Spirit and we talk about those things, even there we could see meekness is mentioned there, uh, peace and gentleness, goodness, faith. Uh, you, you see even humility intrinsic in some of those characteristics. How do we display it? Do we just show it off? No. We simply make the choice. We already noted Titus 2, verses 11 and 12. Grace of God that brings salvation appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this pre- present world. How do we display it in our lives? We make the right choice. We deny ourselves the pleasures of sin for a season. We already alluded to Hebrews 11 there in Moses. We reject those things, and we choose to do what God would have us to do. We flee those lusts that we may have. We flee those decisions and those problems that we may see. And we deny any type of pride that we may have. Turn very quickly to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, beginning verse number 3 there. He says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. It doesn't matter what we're doing or what we're trying to do. There's no reason that we should ever be seeking our own their vain glory there. He says, In lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. One of the ways we can display our self-control is not be bragging about it, not be showing it off. Look at what I have. Look at what I've learned to do. Look at what I can now do. Because remember, when we fall victim to pride... We fall victim very soon to our own destruction. Now what the wise man says back in the book of Proverbs. Friends, as we draw our lesson to a close tonight, we know that controlling oneself is a natural component of producing fruit of the Spirit. It's not going to destroy the the work that we're doing. If we have the ability to control our choices, control our decision, control the pathway that we're taking, then certainly... We are to live and to do those things which are right and well-pleasing in God's sight. You know, just as faith without works is dead, so faith without self-control is meaningless. It won't get us very far. It doesn't matter what we believe or what we know. If we don't make the right choice, if we allow to indulge in sin, it doesn't matter how much we know or how much we believe. We choose wrong. We do wrong. And as we noted earlier, when we do that, we will be judged accordingly. Acts chapter 24, verse 25. Maybe the case tonight that there's some here that need to respond to the Lord's invitation. The Bible speaks of how we need to make our lives right with God very clearly and very plainly. Maybe you're here having never done those things. We must hear of Him. The Bible says that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved, Romans ten thirteen. Verse number 14 goes on, though, and says, How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? 
Hearing God's Word is foundational in gaining a right relationship with Him. But again, it's not just hearing that Word. We must come to believe that Word. Hebrews 11, verse number 6 tells us, Without faith it's impossible to please Him. But it doesn't stop there either. Just because we believe it. We've got to make some choices. We've got to make some decisions. And we have to take action upon those things we know to be right and avoid those things we know to be wrong. The Bible calls that repentance. Choosing right over wrong. Turning away from sin. Jesus says, Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Luke 13, 3 and 5. Upon that repentance, we then stand before others and confess our faith in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, Matthew 10, 32 and 33. So He'll confess us before the Father, which is in heaven. Upon that confession then, we wash the sin in our lives away. We read Romans 6 earlier, talking about the, the baptism there, submitting to Him in the rite of baptism, having our sins washed away, Acts twenty two sixteen. But it doesn't stop there either. As we've noted, we have to possess self-control. We have to choose from that moment to the moment we face God. We have to choose correctly. We have to control the desires that we have. We have to cast those things off. And if remember, if we possess self-control, the temptation we face will have little influence in our lives. Make the right choice and live faithfully. Galatians 5, verse number 1 tells us to stand fast, therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. It may be the case tonight that there's one or more in this audience who needs to respond to the Lord's invitation. It may be through your initial obedience to the gospel. It may be that you have done those things and for whatever reason you failed to remain faithful to His calling. If there's a need tonight, would you come? As we stand as we sing.